Hello, my name is Hindel Grossman. I'm a divorce attorney in Newton, Massachusetts, and welcome to Inside Divorce, a podcast series published on the 15th of each month. Each guest is an expert in the field of divorce and has fascinating information to share. I hope you'll listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman and today I have the pleasure of sitting with Gilza Fort Martinez from Miami. I'm in Massachusetts and you must have endured the hurricane recently. I hope all is well. Thankfully, we dodged a bullet here in Miami. Our Definitely our southwest coast got really, really heavily hurt and devastated. We were a bit on the lucky end this, this time. Yeah. I'm glad you're well. Yes, thank you. So Gilza is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we have a lot to talk about in how it overlaps with the divorce world. And so Gilza, first tell us a little about yourself. Well, Hendel, thank you for the invite here. I mean, I am, as you said, a, a marriage and family therapist for over 25 years. I have worked primarily with couples and families in the various transitions you know, the twists and turns that lives take. But very often I have kind of navigated towards working with women, working with women who are very often blindsided, surprised of situations, various types of betrayals that come up. You know, we always talk about, you know, sexual betrayal, but there's various kinds. And so I focus really on trying to help women overcome some of these really devastating situations and have done that working with countless women over the years and have really found that although divorce is something, right, that at least in Florida is at about 51%, it might be better to help provide some practical tips instead of, you know, just trying to pretend it's not happening. So this is really kind of a passion for me and really helping people come out the other end of the dark tunnel. Yeah, that's exactly how I describe it, too. Well, your dark tunnel is different than mine. Mm-hmm. Mine is for the people who've decided to get divorced. And I liken it to stepping into the long, dark, smelly tunnel mm. in the hopes that it's obviously brighter on the other end and happier. But yours is a little bit different. They're in a tunnel. I suppose they've learned about some sort of betrayal, and you're going to help them figure out what to do with that information. Yes, and that's a good point, because very often... People come in here, women come in here, not with the decision to divorce, but just with that overwhelming sense of shock and devastation and really, you know, because at the end of the day, Hindel, right, a, a betrayal is a broken promise. In regards to like sexual infidelity, we have very nonverbal usually agreements in relationships about, you know, the expectation that we're going to be faithful. Most couples don't discuss that. I'm always surprised when I hear that couples just assume, well, of course, he or she has to know that if, you know, if they cheat, if they talk to somebody else, we're done. And in reality, nobody's really talked about that. Okay. So it's a very implied kind of agreement. So when people usually step into my office, they are beyond shocked, sometimes blindsided, sometimes not, meaning there's been like a pattern of this kind of behavior in the relationship. And so one of my first questions is to try to help them to determine, are we staying? Are we going? How do you decide? Do I stay? Do I go? So that 
in that process is where people like you then can come into play because they typically have zero idea of what resources are out there because they're just engulfed in that, like you said, dark, smelly, yeah. you know, tunnel. Well, they're grieving and sad and mad and ugh, just so full of mixed emotions. So you said something interesting, which is that there's an implied understanding that you should be loyal to one another. But are you suggesting that it would be better if it were outspoken? Very often, I think that conversation, having those hard conversations is really more helpful. Even if in the end, what it shows you is, well, you know, like maybe we're not really supposed to be together. But when we just go in through these things without having conversations, all kinds of stuff can get turned up. And then we're surprised and before we know it, we're in conflict. Hopefully you stay on the verbal end of the conflict, right? We don't get into the physical aggression or, you know, that's like a whole other conversation. Yes, there is that implied agreement without conversation. Then they're surprised. Yeah. Then, well, what are you doing talking to this person? I'm just talking to this person. I'm, I didn't know that that mattered. Yes, the agreements and the expectations matter. Yeah. Well, then you get into people kind of shading the truth because when they're caught, one who's being disloyal, let's say, gets caught. And then there's these shallow explanations of we're just friends or there's a mean anything or, you know, how it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And that's why I, I do a lot of conversation with, with women when they come in here and they're not quite sure there's been, again, a sexual betrayal because there's a variety of other kinds of betrayals that could happen and that often do happen before there is the actual sexual betrayal. And what you right. were referring to are things like the emotional affair. There is the affair that has to do with just not being available. You know, you start to not show up to events. You start to not be in presence. And so those different types of betrayals, by the time the actual sexual betrayal gets discovered, it's a much bigger thing than people realize. Uh, right, right. So what are the signs and what do you do with the information when you have a suspicion? Well, very often, you know, particularly I find that millennials and the younger generation are private detectives at times. And by the time they come to me, they come usually in one or two ways. They are in suspicions that things are happening. So like you said, lots of anger and sadness, or there has been a discovery. Sometimes there's been a disclosure, and I try to make a distinction, right, between a discovery of an infidelity or of a betrayal versus a disclosure, right? You come to me and you tell me, hey, this happened, blah, blah, blah. I might have a different perspective than if I have to go through the whole private detective concept of discovering all the information. So, Depending on how that happens, you can have more or less trauma from the betrayal. And what trauma essentially is, is right, that sense of kind of the rug being pulled out from you. Okay. And sure. the feelings then that result from that, like you said, it turns into grieving, but at first there is all of the concept of anger and disappointment and guilt and all that that impacts then on on our person on our self-worth and our self-esteem sure say someone comes to you with a suspicion how do you guide them through that well 
I really would like to talk with them about the relationship history a little bit first, you know, to kind of get a gauge, you know, how there are some people that come into my office and are extraordinarily insecure and afraid. And so this shows up in their relationship as maybe them being the ones that are controlling or overly jealous by trying to figure out what the situation is given what they're presenting, right? What what have they discovered? Obviously, like I said, the younger generation can come in here with they've looked at records and phone records and and they've got all kinds of things that they do on their own. And so when you have something like that, okay, then we start to help them guide with all right, so what do you want to do with this? That question yeah. is definitely something I put back on them. Are we staying or are we going? What are the pros and cons to the relationship? And what are the costs and benefits? And helping yeah. them sort out first for themselves what they want to do with the information they have found out. Yeah. So if they're interested in moving forward and trying to save the relationship, let's say, how do you suggest they approach it with their partner? I mean, very often, I'm not going to say all the time, but very often by the time somebody comes in to see me, there has already been the knockdown, you know, blowout uh, because things have been more often than not discovered. Sometimes there's a disclosure, like I said, but very often by the time they come to me, there has been already the original blowout conversation. Often those conversations don't go well. There is a, an accusation, there's often a denial, and then there is all of the yes, you did, no, you didn't kind of thing. Right. Okay. But if they do come in, if they come in together, that's always a, an interesting, right? That's more information for me clinically. If they come in together, how come you can get a sense of whether people want to be there and want to do the work of rebuilding trust. If only one partner comes in, like I said, that's where I start. I want to know their commitment to wanting to rebuild. What is their, you know, again, costs and benefits. And then can we get the partner to come in? Because if they want to rebuild, this is kind of got to be both partners being willing to put in the effort that it's going to require. And from there, we're trying to start carving out new agreements between them. Right. Okay. So you really have to assess the situation. And sometimes you might find that your client might be overly jealous. Mm -hmm. Right. That must be a hard message to deliver to your, your client. Listen, a lot of my clients helped me to get the handle that I use on Instagram because they call me really that I do a lot of tough love in that sense. So I'm not a real traditional clinician or psychotherapist in that sense that if they ask me a question, you know, they might get an answer. You know, if yeah. they ask for an opinion, they might get an opinion. It doesn't mean it's the right one or that, you know, I have any kind of magical powers, but just, hey, you know, I have all this information and I don't know what to do with it. Should I tell him or should I confront her? So what I help them to do is to really explore, okay, safety first and foremost. So you have this confrontation. Can you? Do you have concerns about being hurt physically, verbally, family-wise? If safety is not a concern, then we really talk about creating the time and the space to have this kind of conversation. If it's them, like you said, part of my 
reflecting back to them as they start to give me examples of how they're sure that there's somebody is having an affair. And I start to give them other possible scenarios and having them start to think about, is there possibly an overreaction on your part? You're right. It's not an easy conversation to go in. Mm -hmm. And yet it's really important because otherwise things can really blow up from there. Yeah, for sure. Well, helping someone navigate through that is tough because it, obviously it's fact specific and everyone was going to react in a different way. And what you said about coming to you after the blow up is interesting. So that they really should come to you before the blow up to help navigate that process. Ideally, you can start to pay attention to, and in most of us in our relationships, we know when relationships are when we're feeling good and connected and when we're starting to feel distance. Things like having, you know, less time that we spend together. Things like there being more criticism or withdrawals in conversations. Like, you know, things that maybe weren't as big a deal before now becomes a big deal. You're feeling a lot less connected to your partner. Okay. So those are signs and signals. It could be of some kind of an affair. It could be some other kind of stressor that's impinging on the relationship. But those are things to pay attention to. When those things happen and we ignore them, we tend to get into a bigger problem. If we could learn to pay attention to that and take the chance, like a loving chance, right? Because somebody might say, hey, what's wrong with you? You've been really weird lately. Well, you know, that's not really conducive (laughs) to Uh open and sharing. But if we could really learn how to lovingly approach each other when we're feeling that distance, sometimes we can catch this. There's a change in the relationship. And we can take a look at what's happening before somebody steps outside of the primary relationship. I certainly see the value in paying attention. But you're really suggesting to pay attention every day because things can happen in everyday life that, and not everybody's in a great mood every day. They don't feel connected every day. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And that's why we're not looking at one day or one behavior. We really want to be able to take a look at the overall. But it yeah. is those small gestures and small things that tend to be the ones that keep relationships going. You may not have the time to have a long, in-depth evaluation of your relationship every day or every week, but you certainly can do the basics, as I call it. Good morning, good night, have a great day. Mm -hmm. We have so many different ways to stay connected these days, and we have the ability to, to do that. So it's really about initiative. And many times, you know, right, it's not always another person or a betrayal of another person that creates, but rather the routine is one of the first things that starts to deteriorate a relationship. We do what we do because this is the way we've always done it. And, you know, we're not going to fix something that we don't think is broken. Hmm. So give me an examples of a routine other than, I guess, good morning, good night. Those are good examples. For a lot of us that have kids, I mean, kids really do better. I'm going to make a huge generalization, but do better with some kind of infrastructure and some kind of routine or schedule. And so when we become parents, we're doing all of those things and wanting. And if we want to be involved parents, you know, if we can be involved parents, then a lot of life becomes revolving around the kids. 
Okay. You've heard this before, right? And then what happens to the couple? The couple is focused outward instead of being focused inward or or towards each other. And that's a very typical situation that could make a disconnect that could result in some kind of a betrayal. Doesn't always, but could simply because, well, I'm really not being paid attention to over here. A feeling of being neglected because the children are more important. Absolutely. Pretty standard. Pretty standard. Okay. And those are, how do we deal with those things? Very often it is first and foremost, you know, it's a mindset. It's a mindset of, okay, this relationship is kind of the apex of the triangle, as they say, you know, and when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, as they say, Mm -hmm. right? The same goes for dad. But those are conversations that a lot of us and didn't grow up with, come from cultural backgrounds that don't emphasize that. There's a a variety of reasons that relationships go into disconnect. A betrayal is just really like very often the the cap for a lot of people as far as loss and, and grieving. Right. All right. So they've come to you. There's been a blowout. They have to decide whether they want to move forward or toward the relationship healing. So how do you begin the healing process? Assuming, meaning that we've had the conversation both together and separate, okay, that they want to recommit. There is some of the basics that have to occur. If there's been another person, that other person has to be out of the formula. There needs to be transparency. So some of the basic agreements to start to create the foundation of being able and willing to trust each other, right? To rely on that other person. So if you've had some of those things, then the healing begins with reversing some of those disconnects, right? So we have to spend a little more time together. And we have to really focus on how we have conversations so that they are about giving each other feedback instead of criticism. It's really about either returning to or creating loving rituals that can happen between the couple daily. And those things are sometimes unique, you know, like what would it be? Like I said, if it's a call or if it's the infamous date nights that people always joke about, but I don't care if you're sitting out on a park bench and the kids are, you know, watching a movie inside the house, you know, it's about creating the time and the space to just have conversation or sometimes even just have quiet time together. And I really encourage the conversations, at least in my office, about what's going to be the level of both forgiveness in the relationship, as well as then gratitude. So kind of going through that whole thing. And the process of rebuilding, Hendel, really has to do with everybody's willingness to do this. Because it's Mm. not easy to overcome a betrayal of that kind. It's not easy sometimes to reconnect when we've been so disconnected, but definitely yeah. with a betrayal, there's there's an extra layer. Yeah. So percentage-wise, when someone's disclosed a betrayal, what percentage of the time do you think they move forward with rebuilding the relationship and what percentage do they move to divorce? Listen, there's been a lot of research in this kind of things. Just the 
American Psychological did some research a few years ago that talks about how 20 to 40 percent of divorces come from infidelity, some sort of infidelity. So if we just take those numbers, at least six out of 10 times people decide that they want to try to sort it out. I think that the 20 to 40 percent has a lot to do with the level of betrayal, the extent, the frequency, those kinds of individual factors where somebody says, that's it, I'm done, I'm not even looking back. I would say that more often than not, people at least make an attempt to mm-hmm. reconnect and kind of find their way. I just wish they would do it with some professional guidance, you know, because most of the time we have all of these feelings and we're so all over the place in those feelings. And both parties, not just the party that got betrayed, but also the betrayer has a bunch of different feelings in there. And we don't know what to do with those feelings most of the time. So they end up either being part of the blow up or being ignored. Like, it's already done. I told you I was sorry. Yeah, let's move our day along. Yeah, as if the switch could just be turned on or off, right? Takes a long time to get over. I mean, for a lot of people, it does. Now, when the couple does decide to commit to doing the work, okay, which, like I said, is about reconnecting and from everything from small ways to all of the bigger ways, whether it's financial, whether it's kids, whether it's transparency, when a couple really agrees to do that work, you know, Hindle, I have found that sometimes an infidelity, a betrayal could be kind of like a wake up call, like a wake up and smell the coffee. Oh my gosh, wait a minute. Wait, wait. This started off as something that was supposed to be fun or side or whatever. And I'm about to lose everything. That's not what I want. Or, wow, I could really lose my partner. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't tuned in to where they were at. And they got their needs met someplace else. But it's a reset. It's a reset. You hope it's a reset. You hope it's a reset. And with some clinical guidance, you know, with some professional guidance, it can be a reset. Given that, again, there are certain features that are discussed. And so I have found that there are plenty of couples that can reset from this and make new agreements. They have to believe their life is better together. Yes, they do. And be willing to to show that, you know, be willing to show that their life, you know, the we part is better, not just me or you, but that the we part is better. Right. You know, a lot of people come to me to have a consultation. And sometimes I never see them again. And I hope that they're working on their marriage or that thing they've been able to reconcile and things are better. Sometimes, of course, they do come back. It might be a year later. But it's always interesting because I think the people should get information about what the divorce process will look like in making a decision whether to go this direction or that direction. Right. And I do think that's a big part of what had attracted me to to your podcast is that that kind of practical focus. Here are the things that you could expect, you know, or here are some of the paths that you can take. And that's resonates a lot for me because I am very much, although I've been a therapist for, like I said, 25 years, there's a big part of me that is coach and cheerleader. And it's very much about, hey, you got door number one, door number two, door number three. Let's explore them. Let's see which one best fits you. So 
you know, your style really resonated for me in, in yeah. that way. Oh, good. Thank you. Well, you're a realistic imaginer, I suppose. You just have <laughs> people consider the real possibilities and what they'll look like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gilsa, it's been a pleasure. I'm sure we have a lot more to talk about for this podcast. We're going to wrap it up. I want to thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, I look forward to meeting you one day. Thank you. Anytime you're down in Miami, I'm happy to uh, share a cafecito with you. Oh, thanks so much. Sassoon Simrod has attorneys who meet your dynamic needs, handling legal matters including tax issues, real estate transactions, business law, and of course, divorce and post-divorce matters. I can be reached to the same number, 617-969-0069, but my email address has changed. It's now hgrossman at sassoonsimrod.com. Sassoon Simrod is spelled S-A-S-S-O-O-N-C-Y-M-R-O-T. Thanks for listening.